Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher here at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Daniel chapter 6. This is the last chapter in the first section of the book of Daniel, and it brings the political career of Daniel to a close. Now, before we get into the story, we need to deal with the issue of Darius the Mede. Who is this guy? We know for a fact that Cyrus was king of the Persians at the time of Babylon's collapse and defeat. So who is Darius? Now, liberal scholars will say that this proves that the book of Daniel was written 300 years later than it presents itself as having been written, and that whoever wrote it simply got his chronology wrong because there was a Persian king named Darius, but he came along much later, almost 20 years later. Now, we should probably remember here that liberal scholars 100 years ago were saying that because we had no record of a king Belshazzar, this also proved that Daniel was written long after these events took place. And a lot of people got on board with that until we found records of King Belshazzar, and all of a sudden, we remembered that history is still being written. We construct these narratives out of shards of pottery dug out of the ground and inscriptions read off of long toppled monuments, and we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle that we're trying to put together. And so sometimes it's best to be humble and patient. Now, that being said, there are already a couple of interesting suggestions on the table as to the identity of Darius the Mede. D.J. Wiseman, the world-famous Assyriologist, actually thinks that Darius the Mede was just an early throne name for Cyrus the Persian. He doesn't think that we're dealing with two people at all. He thinks that we're dealing with a second name for the same person. He, he thinks the last verse of chapter 6 is not referring to two people, but rather to two names of one person. And that may be so. Far be it from me to disagree with someone like D.J. Wiseman. However, some other scholars think that Darius the Mede was a general who was the temporary ruler of the province, now of Babylon. The Babylon is now a province in the Persian Empire. And Darius the Mede was ruling over that province for Cyrus. Now, the language permits that view as well. The good news is we're still digging history out of the ground, and the even better news is that the identity of Darius the Mede does not affect our interpretation of this chapter in the least. So let's begin reading this important story at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. 
because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Now, it is worth noting here that everyone in the government knew that Daniel's loyalty to God surpassed his loyalty to the state. And it is worth asking yourself whether the people in your life know that about you. Do the people in your life know that your loyalty to God and his word is the determining factor and the ultimate authority in your life and conduct? Do they know that? Does your life give evidence of that? Daniel's life did. And his enemies sought to use that against him. We pick up the story again at verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, let's just quickly stop there. That, that's a bald-faced lie. Not all the high officials and satraps were in on this plan. Daniel was quite clearly not in this plan. This is a conspiracy to use Daniel's religious convictions to get him disqualified from public office. Now, I point that out, friends, because there is nothing new under the sun. The devil's playbook is very thin and very dog-eared. You should know that so that you can anticipate his actions in the future. We jump back into the text at verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, we could do an entire episode on that verse. Daniel knew about the king's edict. He knew the king had just forbidden him to do what God required him to do. And yet, observe what Daniel didn't do. He didn't rally the Jewish community to strike or protest or take up arms in violent insurrection. He didn't do any of that. He went home. He prayed. And he prepared for death. I love how Trumper Longman III puts, puts it in his commentary. He says, Christians do not fight for their beliefs by assaulting or killing, but by dying. In a sense, Daniel chapter 6 is the bookend to Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do what they were forbidden to do by God. In Daniel 6, Daniel refuses not to do what he is commanded to do by God. In both cases, the men make it clear 
that their loyalty to God is higher than their loyalty to the state. Apostle Peter says the same thing in Acts 5.29. He says, we must obey God rather than men. Our loyalty must be to God first, but that is not a mandate for rudeness or rebellion against the state. Look at how Peter and Daniel resisted. They didn't protest or rebel or rebuke the king. They just went on doing what God had called them to do. That's how we do it, by obeying God even to the point of death. Story goes on in verse 11. The trap is sprung. Daniel's caught. The text says, verse 11, Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Darius obviously has no desire to put Daniel to death. He, he respects Daniel. This entire drama began because Darius was going to promote Daniel above all the other satraps and officials. But he has been trapped now by his own law. Verse 16 says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. 
Now, when you read those verses, you can't help but think of Proverbs, like Proverbs 26, 27, which says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. God knows how to turn the schemes of the wicked back on their own heads. Despite all appearances to the contrary, God is large and in charge, and he knows how to save and preserve a remnant of his people. He knows how to catch the crafty in their own wicked schemes, and he knows how to humble a king who almost thought himself a god. Verse 25 says, Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel, from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. God knows how to preserve, prosper, and promote his people. And that message would have been a great comfort to the Jewish people living in exile in the province of Babylon. And we know that it was. But we also know that this story became very important to the early Christian community. They saw in it all the things that we've talked about. They saw the reminder that despite all appearances to the contrary, God is large and in charge. They saw the example of how to deal with formal and potentially fatal religious persecution. They saw that and they needed that as they lived and ministered under tyrants like Nero Caesar. But they also saw something in this story that we must be careful to see as well. They saw an anticipation of the empty tomb. There are remarkable similarities between the story of Daniel and the story of Jesus. Just like Daniel, Jesus was wrongly convicted by the false testimony and lying schemes of jealous rivals. Just like Darius, Pilate wanted to find a way to free Jesus, but in the end, due to powerful political realities, both Daniel and Jesus were sent to their doom. The main difference, of course, is that Daniel didn't actually die. An angel was sent to preserve him, but Jesus did die, which makes his emergence from the tomb all that more impressive. Both stories make the same point. God is sovereign over life and death. You can trust him because he can save you and deliver you even from death itself. Because he is the living God. He rescues and he saves and there is none that can deliver from his hand. That is the message of the lion's den. And that is is the message of the empty tomb. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on our Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into your search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right-hand corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word.